Travels with John Smith, Chapter 32, Year 4, 2015. Mexico, Xi'an, Thailand, and Wuhan. On paper, it is quite lovely. There is a swimming pool, three bedrooms, two levels with an large upper terrace, and a front yard complete with lovely flowers that attract hummingbirds. My sister and brother-in-law, Wendy and Eldon, arrive before we do and find that the house has seen better days. Up close, the swimming pool is a little bigger than a bathtub. The faded curtains do not cover the entire window. There are no towels at all, not enough sheets for us four, and the blankets are a little dodgy. We can't find any pots and pans, even though there is a big kitchen with bar, countertop, and stools. It looks like it has been broken into at least once and does not have the bars on the windows and main doorways that the other houses on the street have, so we don't feel confident we will find our valuables when we return from dinner. It's 3 a.m. and I am awakened by water pouring out of the air conditioner onto my head. Despite these things, we decide this house really just needs some TLC and it wouldn't need much to turn it into a nice place if we were staying longer, but it will do. After the 20 to 30 below Celsius temperatures in Saskatchewan, it is great to be somewhere warm. It was wonderful to spend some chilled time with our mothers without the other distractions that summer brings, and we really enjoyed the beauty of the white landscapes against bright blue skies, the crunching of snow under our boots, but it's good to be in Mexico. Life in the town of Panida is generally pretty laid back. Women sweeping the streets Families bringing a wooden table out onto the cobblestone streets for a family dinner. Brightly colored houses line the street and stray dogs roam up and down looking for scraps. Sometimes a long American-looking car with young men in it drive past. The bass sounds like it is bouncing in time with the suspension of the car over the cobblestones. We hang out a few times with Sandra and Greg, who are friends from Saskatoon, and we do a day trip with them out to an ancient burial site in a kind of forest jungle where the Mayans would do sacrifices. The place has interesting square-shaped rocks and a stream running alongside it. Some of the rocks have petroglyphs, carvings that tell a story, like ancient graffiti. Wendy gets us a gig on Valentine's Day at a popular restaurant in the main square, and the next day we do a house concert with John on harmonica and a good musician and friend from Saskatoon, Daryl. It's a lovely house high up on the hill with a stunning view of La Penita. We all take turns singing lead and harmonies, and it's more of a jam and lots of fun. We have to walk across a very wobbly hanging bridge 
to get to the place where we do our laundry. The locals tell us there are crocodiles in the water below it, and we don't know if this is true or not, but we squint and scan the river every time we cross it. Wendy and I are walking ahead of Eldon and John, and they catch up to us, saying they saw one. We're not sure if they're joking or not, or if it's Sod's Law, the one time we're not looking. But we are very disappointed. We meet up with an old friend of mine, Kelly, who now lives on an island called Yulapa. She is in La Penida for a wedding at the same time as us. There's something really special about meeting up with someone you haven't seen in a long while, even if you have been in touch. There is something about physically being able to hug them that carries you, carries the friendship, as you never know when you will see each other again. Kelly lives in a house that is open to the elements, and she tells us a couple of stories about her encounters with scorpions that makes my hair curl. She laughs while she speaks about being stung and what she had to do to deal with it, like it was just part of her day, part of living in that part of the world. It is a brilliantly blue and sparkling sunshine on the sea day. We are floating along in a 15-meter catamaran, scanning the horizon for humpback whales. We hear the sound of air being expelled to our right, and out of the corner of my eye I see a huge dark shape about five meters away alongside the boat. My heart skips a beat. Oh my God, it's right there, almost close enough to touch. In the water we see the beautiful slick skin as his huge body raises itself above the water and the spray from his blowhole reaches the boat. He slips quietly under the water as I kick myself for shutting my phone off a minute ago. He surfaces a little further away and lifts his tail gracefully and dives down to the depths of the ocean. I take a breath, feeling grateful to have been so close to such a magnificent creature. We are near Puerto Vallarta on a whale-watching tour and haven't been disappointed. We have been hanging out with some humpback whales all morning. Our guide says there were some males showing off for a female, and it's hard to know if we've been watching the same guys over and over or different ones, but either way, it's very exciting to see them surface, then disappear again with the flick of a tail and come up in another spot a few minutes later. I had given up hope that they would come up close to the boat and was contented that we had seen them at all, but now I'm over the moon. We also had a visit from some playful dolphins who swam right beside the boat, and we could see them frolicking in the clear turquoise water off and on for about 20 minutes, which was an extra bonus. I think Mexico would be a great place to live, and I can see why so many Canadians and Americans spend a large part of their year there, especially after they are retired. I think I would like it too, but I worry about the scorpions. We are in a large building with thousands of soldiers. 
We have wanted to come here since we first arrived in China. This morning, we went to a factory where they showed us how they make the soldiers in a large kiln. They make the body and head separately by hand and then put them together. They are all meant to have different faces, like a real army. One of them looked a little like my brother-in-law, Eldon. We are shown how to tell the difference between the foot soldiers, the generals, and the archers by their clothes and by the way their hair is done. Our guide says the emperor who commissioned this army was buried under a hill not too far away. She says they can't dig him up because his grave has mercury, mercury rivers surrounding it. We drove past the hill on our way here. He built the army to protect and serve him in death. He is the same guy who built the Great Wall of China. His name is Emperor Qing Shi Huang. The terracotta warriors were buried and then forgotten about for a dynasty or two, and then some soldiers from the Han Dynasty, I believe, found them, stole all the terracotta warriors' weapons, they had real ones, and tried to burn the place. They were under a wooden roof, so much of it got destroyed. Then they were buried again and forgotten about. A farmer and his two friends were looking for water in the 1970s, and they dug a well and discovered some of the remnants. One of the farmers informed the government as he figured it was something special. They were not given much for reporting it. Two of the farmers have since died, but one who still lives sometimes comes and signs books about the warriors for tourists and poses for pictures. We read that Clinton came to visit the warriors and asked where the guy who discovered them was. The dignitaries were embarrassed because he was still a farmer and didn't really have anything to do with the attraction. So they found him and brought him to meet Clinton, only to be embarrassed again that the man couldn't sign his name as he couldn't write. They sent him to school so he could learn how to write characters and his name and also gave him the job of signing the books. He now only comes in on Saturdays or something, but he at least he's getting the recognition for discovering one of the most amazing archaeological finds in China. John is very excited about meeting him being a fellow farmer. We buy the book and sit down on either side of him so we can get a picture with him. I sit down and he puts his hand on my knee. I'm not sure what to do, as I don't know if this is an accident or if it isn't. I imagine he must have his hand on John's knee too. We take the picture and thank him. We're walking out the door and I tell John what happened. He laughs and says, the old dog, the Canadian equivalent to cheeky, so after digging them up, the archaeologists put the soldiers back together. Most were badly damaged. They show us examples of how they do this. Apparently, the only ones that were not broken were the archers, presumably because they are kneeling and lower to the ground. 
They are now an army without weapons, and the world comes to see them. We are staying in a nice hotel near to the bell tower inside the ancient wall that surrounds the center of Xi'an. We can easily walk up to one of the points below the wall where you can climb up onto the wall and walk or ride bicycles, which you can rent up there, or small shuttles like big golf carts. It is about 14 kilometers long, quite wide, with turrets all the way along. At any point, you can look out of a turret and see another part of Xi'an. It's a beautiful city, with a lot of history, even without the warriors. And it is also a very modern city to cater to the large volume of tourists. We walk in the sunshine along the wall for a while and come back to the bell tower to meet Sonia and Sam, the two teachers we traveled to Xi'an with. We meet them in the Arabic quarter, which is a street that starts from under the bell tower. The street is a kind of market with all sorts of interesting souvenirs and wonderful food you can only find on this street. We drink deliciously thick and sweet, freshly squeezed pomegranate juice made with a hand press that looks like an old-fashioned meat grinder. We eat a kind of sandwich made with shredded lamb and Middle Eastern spices inside of a clay-baked round piece of bread with a chili meat sauce on top. We watch the men in traditional Uyghur clothing expertly pull a kind of dough until it stretches to about three meters. While they are doing this, one end is attached to a hook on the wall of a hut, and the other end they are pulling and winding it back, and the whole time they do this, it never touches the ground. They then place it on a large wooden block and beat the hell out of it with a huge wooden mallet without stopping until it's completely flat and thin. I'm not sure what happens next, but we saw them breaking it up into small pieces and bagging it. It becomes a type of cracker. We saw and ate many other interesting things on this street, and it gave us a window into this Muslim culture. We are back in Thailand, this time on an island called Koh Samui, laying on sunbeds beside a swimming pool. There are several pools, each one an infinity pool, running into another pool down a hill until you arrive at a beach and the ocean. That is the view from where we are. There's a poolside bar with stools in the water where we can order smoothies or pad thai, and we are the only customers right now, so it's very quiet. Gorgeous big palm trees surround us, and it is bright and sunny with a light breeze coming up from the ocean. Our hotel is a succession of bungalows on the side of a hill with some private pools. Ours does not have a private pool, but has a large veranda where I can play my banjo ukulele, John can play his harmonicas. There's a beautiful big outdoor shower and washroom the size of some apartments I've lived in. We, decide to take, we decided to take a vacation 
where we don't do anything but relax. When we get back to Wuhan, we will be busy as John is directing EAF, the English Arts Festival, and I am mentoring, coaching the singing numbers in the play. It's a musical version of Peter Pan that John rewrote to make it more rock and roll. He started the process long ago, and he has already been rehearsing every day after school, meeting with all the departments of the play, costumes, sound, etc., once a week, and at the same time, teaching a full schedule. We are here at the same time as Natasha, another teacher from the school, and her mother. So we've done some visiting with them, but they have moved on to another island. We have visited a couple other beaches and go to the livelier area of town to eat every night, where we saw a really good live band in a big square where there was a weekly food and clothing market. We decide our hotel is the best place to be, so here we stay. Now we are back in Bangkok at the Adelphi Suites, our home away from home. We stayed here on the way to Koh Samui, and we are now on the way back. We were given a suite in the hotel, which was good, as Melissa, a teacher I work with at the Foreign National School, met us here, and she didn't have a hotel booked so she's staying with us. We'll show her around the weekend market in Bangkok, my favorite place, tomorrow. We're back in Wuhan, and we already feel like we never left. There are some great characters in John's version of Peter Pan, and I will tell you about the main three. He has cast Avil as Lady Hook Hook. She is very clever, probably my top student of all time, and has a gutsy and strong singing voice and the character to go with singing R-E-S-P-E-C-T and the character of Lady Hook Hook. Peter is played by John, who was in John's comedy group and is probably the best dancer in the school with an incredible stage presence. Wendy is played by Elena, who was in my songwriting club a few years ago and was the lead in Matilda two years ago. She's intelligent and driven, can sing and also play the piano. Because of this, she makes her own backing track for I'm Just a Kid and makes an original, pretty version of the song. The premise is the same as the original Peter Pan, but Lady Hook Hook has a rock band in Neverland. Smee, her right-hand man, is her bass player, and she's always threatening him with the idea that he will do as she says or become her roadie instead of a bass player. Smee does a wonderful job of getting the audience worked up, singing Thunderstruck by ACDC. Logan who plays Smee, was one of the first students I ever taught as a teacher here and was also in John's Comedy Club last year. He has great comic timing. There's no crocodile in John's Peter Pan, but instead Lady Hook Hook is afraid of Justin Bieber. 
Justin appears at different times during the play, and as soon as Lady Hookhook hears the first notes of Baby, she falls to the ground covering her ears. The girl playing Justin Bieber is quite shy, and when we first started working on the song, I thought we might never get her to a point where she looked confident, but she blew everybody away at the performance, and she looked like she was having a blast. She came off stage and said about the audience, They are so high! There is a tinkerbell, but instead of flying, they have a time machine. There are kung fu fighters and two male mermaids singing Octopus's Garden that are hilarious. There is an amazing little future star called Frozenora, that's her English name, that plays one of the lost kids in a kind of Jim Carrey Three Stooges style physical comedy. When she auditioned, John wrote a scene especially to showcase her talents. In the final face-off scene between Lady Hookhook and Peter, they play Guitar Hero on a large screen that the audience can see. It was a really fun, funny, and entertaining variety show. Everyone says it was the best show yet. On the last night, the cast and crew hoisted John in the air and carried him around the entire stage and backstage area, luckily without dropping him. John says it might be one of the best projects he has ever done. When it was over, he said, What should we do now? EAF is finished, and now it's time for Maple Leaf's 20th anniversary show. The Chinese music teacher, Nicholas, comes up to me and says, I have a present for you. And he says he wants me to sing something in the show, which will take place in a week. He says he has a Chinese folk song he wants me to sing. He gives me a USB of the song on it, and I am horrified. It is a kind of Beijing opera-style singing, very high, screeching voice. I tell John about it being a terrible song for me to sing and question Nicholas's motives. Does he want me to look like an idiot, which I most certainly would? John thinks I'm exaggerating, but when he watches it, he falls off his chair laughing. To make sure this is the consensus, I also play it for some people in my office, including some Chinese teachers, and they all fall off their chairs laughing. I tell Nicholas I can't do it, but the saga continues with Blake, our principal, getting involved, saying we should find a compromise. Nicholas says I I should sing a Canadian folk song, so I choose a song I wrote with my sister Wendy, Can You Feel It Too? I play it on the ukulele, Quinn joins me on piano, Sindhu on harmony, and Jerry on harmonica. It starts at 9 a.m., and after showcasing some of the school's talent, including the middle school and elementary school, it goes well. Still buzzing from the high of being on stage, we go back to our classes to teach. I have exciting news. I will no longer be teaching. I applied for the job as assistant librarian for next year and got it which means I will have more time 
no lesson plans, no tests or exams to make or mark. For the same pay, I am happy. John will continue to teach foods and nutrition for one more year. Then we'll see. In a month from now, we will be finished this year of teaching. We are taking the long way home and will go through Turkey, Madrid, London, Iceland, and when we get back to Canada, Newfoundland, and then back to Saskatchewan.